You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. To analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. Look, um, Victoria, or the parts of Victoria I'm in, are under Stage 3 COVID-19 lockdown, so I'm not actually able to broadcast from the studio of 3CR in Melbourne. We may have some technical issues. If we do, bear with us. Uh, it's unfortunate we're in this situation, but uh, we have to do, make the best we can. I try to do a live program. Now, if you wonder what anarchy is all about, anarchos, anarchy without rulers, is a society without rulers. What are the two things which give rulers the power to determine the lives of billions of people and its inequalities in power and wealth? And the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, that share power, possibly through direct democratic means, and the struggle to share wealth. Very simple concepts, nothing radical about them, basically very conservative concepts that the people on the planet should actually uh, enjoy the bountiful resources we have. Very simple concept, nothing radical about it. Look, I'm interested in looking at today at what's actually happening in the economy. Look, I could make comments about what's happening in the USA or Britain or Afghanistan, but it doesn't really matter. You know, I, I have no influence. But hopefully here in Australia we have a little bit of influence. And I think what we need to do is we need to look at the current situation because the end of September is going to bring in some economic uh, hardship and maybe even herald an economic catastrophe in this country. Because the COVID-19 lockdown across the country has had uh, profound imp- implications for the economy and that means that's a very fancy word for saying uh, the human relationships between people and how people live. That's all the economy is basically. Now, let's look at the workforce. We have 12 million people working in Australia normally. About 1.5 million about, uh, are uh, usually uh, temporary visa holders from overseas, people on tourist visas, people on short-term visas. So this, of this, uh, now the temporary workforce, the 1.5 million, most of them are still in Australia, they haven't been able to go home, but they're actually not given any government support, so they're relying on the gig economy they're slaves for the gig economy in order to survive. When we see people peddling all over the place, delivering uh, food to people and people being working in part-time insecure work uh, around the country. So that leaves, you know, about uh, 10.5 million Australians. 
into a permanent residence or um, born here who are in the workforce. Now, 1.3 million are on job seeker. These are official figures. These aren't figures I've plucked from the sky. But 1.3 million are on job seeker. 3.3 million are on job keeper. Even uh, the Treasurer acknowledges that the real unemployment rate is around 13 to 14%, not 7% as uh, we see on the official figures. At the same time, we have 1.4 million Australians who actually went to food bank in May in order to get food. That's 5% of the population. That's one in 20. And considering the job seeker allowances are increased to $550 a week and the job keeper allowances $750 a week, uh, you can see that uh, although there's been this extra government assistance, there are issues as far as employment is concerned. So basically, 50% of the population, that's the working population, who are responsible you know, for looking after people and financially, uh, are now either unemployed or grossly underemployed. That's one in two. During the Great Depression, the unemployment rate never went above 25% in this country. Now, the dilemma is that because we live in a capitalist society, which is a society based on the principle of uh, private investment for private profit, there are pressures being exerted on the government to actually end the current uh, program for a variety of reasons. And most of that reason is about getting the economy in inverted commas restarting and profits flowing back into the pockets of uh, people. So it's a major issue at the end of September if job seeker goes back to the pathetic $40 a day and job keeper disappears for the majority of Australians, we're going to have an unemployment rate of about 30% which will have diabolical consequences for uh, people around the country. Not just people who are on Social Security benefits now, but many people who think they've got a job who will find that once Job Keeper disappears, that many industries are going to go to the wall, especially many small businesses are going to go to the wall. And if you walk around the cities these days, and especially regional areas, You'll see the number of full lease and uh, full sale signs on the buildings around the place. Now, you've got to remember that a lot of people are also working from home, so at the same time, you'll find that a lot of office spaces are also empty. So I'm painting a picture which is quite miserable. So what we see, basically, is increasing inequality in the community. Now, increasing inequality in means social dislocation. It means protest. It means people not having enough to eat. It means people not having a roof over their heads, which is extraordinary in a country of 25 million people. So how will the state manage increasing inequality during the COVID era? And it has four main tactics. The first one is fear. Now, we need to understand that in Australia, there is no protection for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. So fear is a great motivating force. Fear of the unknown, fear of the future. So it will play on the idea of fear. Fear of the police, fear of the armed forces, fear of consequences. So you increase increasing inequality by increasing fear, at the same time militarising your... Uh, Police, and what we've seen even before the COVID-19 crisis was the increased militarisation of police forces across the states in this country. With the deployment of the armed forces to assist 
Victoria and other states to assist the COVID-19 response. We've also got the idea that, um, you know, the armed forces can be quickly moved from a position of uh, maintaining uh, assistance to control. The next thing is you whip up divisions in the community. Now, a divided community always is a community which is easy to control. We've seen that already. We saw that with the lockdown of the public housing estates in the inner city Melbourne suburbs of Flemington and North Melbourne. We've seen this division which is created in the um, popular imagination between them and us, those who've got the disease and those of us who haven't got the disease. So fanning division within the community is another way of managing increasing inequality. It makes it much easier for the state to look out to keep control of the situation and maintain the status quo. The next strategy is nationalism. If we can actually divert people's attention to an overseas threat, for example, China, what that does is actually buys the government time. And uh, waving the nationalist flag is always very effective during a period of increasing inequality. It diverts people's attention from the reason for the inequality, the increasing inequality, which is the way the economy is structured, the way society is structured, and it kind of uh, puts people's attention, it draws people's attention towards an external threat. And the last one is MV. So there are methods of in managing increasing inequality during a COVID era that don't actually need the uh, use of brute force to maintain order. Now, if, all things, if everything fails, the next question, the next issue is the use of force. And it's quite interesting to see as the COVID-19 crisis has stepped up in Victoria, how the police have been used and the military are being used in order to maintain order in the community. So there are different ways of managing increasing inequality during a COVID era, but the most important way of increasing, of uh, dealing with inequality during the COVID era was actually, would actually be to introduce ideas and legislation into the community would actually provide for people in this situation. Now, we are very fortunate. We are 25 million people living on a continent, which is an extraordinary situation, an extraordinarily resource-rich continent. But unlike many other sovereign nation states around the world, we have allowed our natural resources to be captured by local and transnational corporations who mine these resources, that export these resources and actually pocket most of the profits. I mean, we rely on taxation of their profits and the taxation of their profits are very minimal. In some situations, like in gas, there's not going to be any taxation coming in for 30 years because of different uh, rules and regulations regarding the tax system. So we have this extraordinary situation we live in a resource-rich continent, massive natural resources, you know, things like uranium, bauxite, iron ore, the dying coal industry, um, um, uh, rare, rare minerals, rare sands, diamonds, gold, opals, you name it, we've got all these resources which are basically, in the majority of cases, 95% of the cases they control by a small number of uh, corporations who are making massive profits while employing very few people, less than 2.5% of the population are employed in the mining sector, but they're making extraordinary profits. Little, not much of this 
profit actually filters back to people. So one way of actually decreasing inequality during a period where it increases is by us nationalising. That's right, nationalising our resources, ensuring that the profits that are made go directly to the people. And if this is all too difficult, it may be very difficult in in the current situation. The other option, which is exceptionally simple, is actually passing legislation through federal parliament which increases taxation of profits of mining corporations to 80%. 80%? Instead of 10% or 20% or 5% or nothing in certain situations, 80% of profits go into a wealth fund. You can have two wealth funds. You could have one for this country's First Nations people who are the original owners of the resources who never ceded their sovereign rights to these resources and the rest, and the rest of the the rest of the population. So we have to start thinking about who owns our natural resources, how we should exploit them, and where the profits should go, especially in difficult times, because difficult times require difficult answers. And the more difficult the time, the more radical the reform which is needed in order to deal with the situation and increasing inequality is going to be the major issue during the COVID era. Once the virus is contained, whether it's contained through social distancing or whether it's contained through uh, medication or vaccination, the issue is what do we do in the interim period? How do we ensure the economy, which is the population, doesn't go over a cliff at the end of September when job seeker decreases and job keeper disappears for the majority of people? So we need to think about who owns our resources, how they develop, where the profits go. Now, another way of actually accessing um, resources for the population would be through introduction of new taxes, taxes which actually affect the financial sector because despite what's happening in the real world, the stock market has done relatively well and continues to do relatively well. I mean, it's dropped about 15%, but it should be dropped about 50% because it doesn't reflect the reality. And what's been happening is the creation of money by by, um, reserve banks around the place, by quantitative easing. What we've seen is a huge amount of money going into speculative stocks and shares. Now, these... Stocks and shares are basically free of taxation. In Australia, we have the ridiculous situations where if you actually own a share, you actually get money from the government for owning a share through franking credit. So why don't we look at issues like a 1% stock market turnover tax? Every time a share or a bond or a stock is bought or sold, 1% goes directly to the Treasury. This is a very simple tax. Everything is computerised very simple just to shift 1% of uh, turnover every day into Treasury. And we could raise at least anywhere between 60 to $60 to $90 billion a year by a 1% turnover tax on the world stock market. And this would be more than enough money to assist people uh, to decrease inequality during uh, an increase in inequality period during the COVID era. The other option is we could actually use the nationalisation or increased taxation of the mining sector and a 1% turnover tax on the stock market, use that those resources to actually fund, um, fund uh, 
ways by which people can actually survive without having to work. It's very simple. A universal basic income. A universal basic income was something we were discussing before the COVID-19 crisis. With increasing mechanisation and a decreased use of labour and where you live in a society where what you can do and what you can't do is totally depends on the type of job you have. Isn't it time that we looked at the concept of a universal basic income? And a universal basic income, which could be uh, finance for a 1% stock market tax and uh, higher taxes on the mining sector or even nationalisation of the mining sector, would, would actually act as a cushion against natural disasters, whether it's a virus, whether it's some type of disaster, whether it's increasing greenhouse emissions. Because the dilemma we face as a 21st century society is that we're using a 19th century economic system to deal with the 21st century where we face uh, increasing threats uh, because of overpopulation, uh, diminishing resources and increasing CO2 emissions as well as the domination of the economy by uh, neoliberal principles. It's... uh, it is a period for different thinking. I mean, we can go down the same track time and time again, or we can actually uh, think about things in a different way. I think it's important that we start thinking about alternatives. Now, everything I've raised today is not new. It's difficult to have a new idea uh, with 7 billion people on the planet. It is not new. But these are ideas which have come and gone, which people have tended to brush aside during this neoliberal era saying that uh, there's no other alternative, you know, there's no other... There are many alternatives, and we can pursue those alternatives. Ultimately, if you live in a sovereign nation-state, the resources of that sovereign nation-state should belong to the people of that state. They shouldn't belong to the uh, small minority, and they shouldn't belong to uh, people who basically use those resources to enrich themselves while providing very little to the community. I mean, what's the point of having resources if you let other people exploit them and you let other people take them away? Now, many countries in the world, including Norway, have huge wealth funds, and they've they've, um, built up those wealth funds by actually uh, using their resources and actually saying to corporations, you want to develop these resources? Fine, but we take 80% of the profits or we take 90% of the profits which goes into the wealth fund for the future of the people of this sovereign nation-state. There's no point having a sovereign nation-state if you don't actually own the resources under the ground and use those resources for the benefit of the people that live there, not the benefit of other people who are just there to make a buck. Because what we see with a lot of these companies is they destroy the landscape, make some money, disappear, go into another project. And uh, it's no accident that we have billionaires in this country and most of the billionaires in this country come from the mining sector. So it is a time for different thinking. It is a time for alternatives. It is a time that we raise issues in a period where it's difficult to come together physically because of the COVID-19 threat. Uh, it, is a, it is a time that we can actually intellectually broaden the debate about options. It's about time we stop talking about business as usual. It's about time we stop talking about doing the same thing. It's about time we raise uh, ideas and concepts which can actually resolve the issues of increasing inequality, not use force 
power to actually try to contain the damage and the explosion and the human misery that will be caused with the removal of job seeker and job keeper at the end of September or the uh, drastic reduction of job keeper and job keeper. So you've got over 50% of the population that are underemployed or unemployed in a capitalist society where your wage is what determines how you live, you have a major issue. So I think it's time that we looked at this very closely and that we, as supposedly activists and reformists and radicals and revolutionaries, actually brought across new ideas to the people. If we don't bring new ideas to people uh, regarding the situation, we will find that we will continue to go down the same path and uh, continue to react to what's around us. It's time we move from reaction to being active active in terms of providing alternatives that are realistic, which can be introduced quickly and which can be used to resolve the issue of increasing inequality during the COVID era. I mean, you can use the old-fashioned way of force, militarisation of your police force, the armed forces, to keep people down, where you can actually share the wealth which can be created in this society. We are only 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent we should be able to deal with any situation that faces us today in the 21st century in this country. This is a COVID-19 program. We are broadcasting for outside the studio, which uh, makes it difficult. But as I was talking before about how to manage increasing inequality during the COVID era, how the state would like to manage it, I mentioned the possibility of using fear and division. The next uh, tactic, which we've seen over the last few weeks, is nationalism. Now, if we can kind of divide ourselves from the rest of the world and uh, use nationalism and create a new Cold War era, well, this is another way of actually keeping the population uh, occupied during a period of increasing inequality. You know, it's, it's, it's a diversion, a diversion. And then we have envy. So managing increasing inequality during the COVID era is uh, exceptionally... Um, is going to be the main issue that we face because, because we live in a capitalist society, one which is based on profit, and because the engines of the profit-making machine have stalled and because government has stepped in and is assisting the population to survive during this period as well as try to contain the spread of COVID-19 in the community, we will see the government use fear, division, nationalism and envy as mechanisms via which to manage increasing inequality in our society. And using the words increasing inequality means people having problems accessing the basic necessities of life. Food, shelter, security, uh, energy, and the list goes on and on. So what do we propose? What do we propose? As I said before at the beginning of the program, we live in a society which is exceptionally rich. 
in resources. And what we've done in this country is something that is just extraordinary. We've allowed our natural resources to be owned, exploited by private companies, private corporations, private individuals. And we have done this to create a few jobs. So we now have large transnational corporations, some based in this country, some based overseas, which are making huge profits from all the natural resources in this country. Natural resources, iron ore, bauxite, diamonds, gold, uranium, even the dying coal industry makes its uh, contribution. Rare metals, sand, and the list goes on and on. We have extraordinary resources, gas. But what is happening in this country is that these resources are not being used for the benefit of the Australian people. And one way, an important way, an essential way that we can tackle this issue is by raising the question of, one, either taxing these organisations, and I'm talking about real taxation, like 80% taxation on profits, because desperate times require desperate measures. Or secondly, we should start a debate about nationalising without compensation. That's right, without compensation, the resources in this country. Why should we be in a position where we have given away our gas resources and don't even have enough gas to power local industry? What's, What's left of it? Just extraordinary. Why should we be paid peppercorn royalties and rely on profits, so-called profits, from these organisations? I mean, billionaires aren't created out of nothing. Billionaires in these industries have been created by accumulation of profits which have been made by exploiting these resources. Now, I don't hear anybody in government or in opposition talking about nationalising our resources nationalising the resources and using the profits that have been made in order to deal with the problems which we face uh, during COVID-19 and post-COVID-19. For example, I would suggest that we create two wealth funds, one for Indigenous Australians who are the traditional owners of the land, who have not ever ceded sovereignty to the land, and the resources of this land, and one for the rest of the population. If we were able to exploit our own natural resources and use the profits that were made to look after the interests of every human being on this continent, we would be the richest sovereign state in the world. And obviously, this requires radical change. But a step, a step, a stopgap measure, as I said before, would be increasing taxation rapidly. Remember what happened to Mr. Rudd, irrespective of his quirks and his personality and his poor relationship with members of his own party. But remember, his problems started when he tried to introduce a super profit tax. 
on these mining corporations. And these mining corporations will fight tooth and nail to ensure they maintain their profits. We've seen already that it's coming under increasing pressure because if you look around, you'll see increased advertisements on social media, on the uh, you know the legacy media, on the new media about how good they are, what wonderful things they do for the community, what wonderful things they do for Indigenous Australia. We even have ads now about how gold is used in cancer treatment. Just extraordinary, because they know they've had a really, really, really good run and continue to have a good run. It's extraordinary there is no debate in this country about nationalising the resources that are in the ground in order to benefit the people of this country. No debate. Never any debate. Never any debate. So this is a debate we need to have. Not the recession we need to have that uh, Paul Keating spoke about, but it is a debate that Rex Connor, good old Rex Connor from the Whitlam government, and I'll talk about that later on, when they were talking about nationalising certain aspects of our mineral resources. Because we're told consistently it's only the private sector that can actually run the mining sector. Or anybody can run the mining sector, whether it's the private sector or the public sector. The problem is, where do the profits go? I mean, if the private sector, you know, wants to, is happy with 20% of profits, well, we don't need to nationalise it, but obviously they'll fight tooth and nail. So there are options. What's another option by which we can uh, create some type of uh, economic uh, assistance for people? The other option, as I keep saying, is a 1% tax on stock market. Now, we've seen over the last five or six weeks the stock market rally. I mean, their rally has nothing to do with the reality on the ground. The rallying is based on the fact there's a lot of created money out there, which has been created out of thin air, which has been used, being funneled back into the stock market. And the fact that we now have a superannuation system where over 40 to 45% of every dollar is invested in the stock market. So 1% stock market tax is a stock market, as each share in stock is bought and sold, would bring in billions of dollars. It's a simple tax. Everything is computerised. It's not hard to collect. 1% ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. But what are they talking about? Well, they're thinking about how they can actually extract that pound of flesh from us. And they're talking about increasing the goods and services tax to 15%, maybe 20%. And as the states are all now, you know, in unison, I can imagine that being passed relatively quickly. And who does the goods and services tax affect the most? Obviously, people on lower incomes. So we are in a position today where we can change things, but we need to be able, as I keep saying, we need to be able to bring these ideas to the fore, whether it's through social media, whether it's through legacy media, in the period we're coming together is becoming more and more difficult because of the risk of COVID-19 
and infection, it's important that we look at other mechanisms by which to put forward our ideas. And I said before, I am encouraging you to join public interest before corporate interest. Because public interest before corporate interest is about putting the welfare of the many before the welfare of the few. It's a political organisation which works on the ground as well as in the political circus. That's right, in the parliamentary circus. We need 550 members to be registered a federal political party that we can raise during election campaigns in between ideas which are not ever raised. Ideas like a universal basic income, which can be funded through the nationalisation of our resources, which can be funded by a 1% stock market turnover tax. These are ideas ideas about a treaty with this country's First Nations people who've never ceded sovereignty, an idea about expanding the public sector about introducing competition between the public and private sector by having public organisations which compete directly in an open marketplace with private organisations. I mean, when we saw the the privatisation of the Commonwealth Bank caused the big four banks to actually explode in terms of profitability, but more importantly, in terms of the power they have over the financial system because there is no competition. When you have private corporations competing against each other, there's hardly ever any competition. In a mixed economy, you need public facilities there that compete against private facilities, private organisations, private corporations, in order to provide the best services to each and every one of us. So think about it. You can do it in a number of ways. You can always leave a message on 0439 395 489. You can go to the website, pitchcpibci.net, download the application form. You can always write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3CR. That's 3cr.org.au. The program will be podcast the next few days. Podcast, you can access at 3cr.org.au. So it is a period where we are under increasing pressures. It's a period which provides opportunities, opportunities for change, opportunities to derail the business-as-usual convoy which wants to reopen up the economy in the good old way of actually extracting profits from each and every one of us. So think about it. You do have options. While you're alive, you have options. While you've got a little bit of courage, you have options. I mean, talk is easy. Very easy. I mean, I've been talking for decades. It's very easy. Much more difficult to organise things on the ground. I'm encouraging you join public interest or corporate interest. If you're interested, if you want to change the direction, you want to take advantage of the situation we find ourselves in where people are questioning the very basis of our society, they're questioning where we're going, they're frightened about what's happening, they don't understand uh, what the future holds for them and their children. Let's move on. Now, 
You've seen the release of the letters between the former Governor-General, Mr Kerr, and the Secretary to Queen Lizzie uh, regarding the dismissal of the uh, Labor government, the Whitlam-led Labor government, on the 11th of November 1975. Now, I'd like to look at a few things here because I think it raises a few points, a few very important things, why they found themselves in that position. Now, let's not forget the Whitlam Labor government was, an, was, an, was not an aberration. The radical policies, the reformist policies, which were introduced by the Whitlam Labor government were introduced because of protest and activity in the community in the late 60s and early 70s, where people wanted change. People wanted change. It's no accident the slogan which saw the Whitlam Labor government elected in 1972, I think it was, was uh, it's time. And it's not, let's not forget this is the most revived, reviled government since Federation. And people continue to downplay the significant reforms which were introduced by the Whitlam Labor government. Reforms like community radio. Community radio was established, licence was given out in order to break the monopoly the Murdoch media and the private media had on the dissemination of ideas in this country. That's what community radio licences were about. They weren't about people's specific interests, but they were actually about people putting forward different ideas. So community radio owes its existence to the reforms which were created by the Whitlam Labor government. Let's not forget the introduction of a universal health care system through Medicare. I mean, I remember doctors' organisations fighting tooth and nail against the introduction of Medicare. But again, these were things that the population wanted. Then we had the no-fault divorce system. We had the introduction of support for single mothers, single parents, support which didn't exist before the Labor government, legal aid. And the list goes on and on and on. Then there were the more radical proposals, proposals to actually end the leases at Pine Gap. The US military hold that it has over Australia, where it's got these foreign bases in Australia. And the Whitlam Labor government was seriously considering ending the leases because of pressure from the Australian people, from a significant portion of the Australian people, to end that domination. That's right. Then we had Rex Connor attempting to nationalise certain aspects of the mineral resources which were coming online. And this is what really broke their back. This is what they were really concerned about, the fact the Whitlam Labor government was toying with the idea of nationalising resources, nationalising our, nat our natural resources and, use and creating a wealth fund as was being created in many other places around the world at that particular point in time. So let's look at this correspondence between the Governor-General, which I'm sure you're yawning about, and Queen Lizzie, or her secretary. Because everybody says, well, Queen Lizzie didn't know. Well, isn't it pathetic? Isn't it pathetic that we, supposedly, a sovereign nation, 
have one individual who's appointed by the government of the day who has powers which are not written in the Australian Constitution, so-called reserve powers, which allow that individual to dismiss an elected government. Could you imagine that? One individual can dismiss an elected government. And let's not forget, if you look at the correspondence very closely, you'll see that uh, Kerr was egged on by Lizzie's secretary, where he basically said, go ahead, get rid of the government. You've got the power. Use that power. Use that power. So nothing has changed since 1975. 45 years later, nothing has changed. We still have Governor-Generals that have the reserve power, you know, magic power, to dismiss an elected government and call another election. Extraordinary. Just like that, put the opposition in power. Bang, bang. And that's the dilemma that all Australian governments have faced. That's the dilemma that radical governments have faced from federation. The fact that if they try to introduce radical reforms through legislation, there are mechanisms by which that government can be removed from power. And that is the danger. And that's what the letters highlight, the fact that this can happen again and again and again. If a government wishes to nationalise this country's resources, to deal with the uh, coming economic catastrophe, take desperate measures to deal with desperate times, we have a political system which allows an individual to actually dismiss that legally elected government. That is the danger we face today. That is the danger that any legally elected government faces in Australia today that wants to pursue a reform agenda, that wants to ensure that this country's resources are used for the benefit of the people of this country, the First Nations people and the rest of us. This is what these letters highlight, the fact that there is this mechanism in our constitution, so-called reserve powers, which I'll repeat again, allow an individual to dismiss a government because they are unhappy with the direction that government is travelling. And they were very unhappy with the Whitlam-led Labor government who was uh, questioning the need for US bases on Australian soil and was discussing the possibility of ending their leases and asking them to leave. And they was unhappy about the fact that private organisations were monopolising the exploration and development of our resources from their own profits and no profits were going to the people of this country. So think about it. It all ties in together. This is what we need to remember is things don't happen in a vacuum. They tie in. And that's what the papers, COVID-19, increasing, uh, how to manage increasing inequality in the community, they all tie in. And we have a political system which allows an individual to stop change, then we have a problem. Now, 
there was a big mistake made in 1975, and I was part of that movement, not the mistake. There was a, there was a push to actually take to the streets, which people did, and actually occupy the streets. And at that particular point in time, on the 11th of November 1975, the Australian military had been put on alert to come in and disperse people involved in protest. Because why should we allow a legally elected government to be removed from office by one individual? And if you have the time to look at those 1,200 letters, you'll see how gossamer thin the excuses were to remove the Whitlam Labor government from office. And remember, it's not just the Whitlam Labor government from office that was removed. It was the Australian people who were removed from office because it was us during that period in the late 60s and early 70s who were the spearhead of that push for radical reform in this country. After two decades of Menzies conservative rule, it was time for change. And in 2020, we face the same issue. Not because of the COVID-19 crisis. It is time for change. Time for economic change. Time for social change. Time for political change. Time for cultural change. Now is the time for change. Although we cannot mix on the streets without consequences. We can get involved in in the discussion of ideas on how to solve these issues. No more business as usual. No more business as usual. Now is the time that we must not progress with business as usual. Now is the time that we need to look at alternatives. As I said before, alternatives like a 1% stock market turnover tax, alternatives like a 80% tax on multinational corporations who own mining resources in this country. And the list goes on and on. We need radical reform. And we always need to look over our shoulders to ensure that one man or one woman cannot derail that radical agenda. Because if there's one thing that increasing inequality in a community does, it exposes the fracture lines in that community. It exposes who has power and who is powerless. It exposes who has wealth and who has no wealth. It exposes things. It, it, what it does is it actually uh, highlights those differences. Because when people are spending most of their time trying to, you know, eat and keep a roof over their heads and pay their bills, any crisis, any crisis causes major issues. And that's what we face today in 2020. I mean, I can talk till the cows come home and I've been accused of talking till the cows come home. And I think I think the important thing is that you need ideas. You need ideas in order to initiate change. You need a match or two sticks to start a fire. You can't start a fire without lightning or a match or two sticks. You can't start the struggle for political reform or, or radical reform or revolutionary change without ideas. 
not ideas based on what somebody's written, but ideas based on the practical reality that we face here and now as individuals and as part of the community. It's about ideas, and we need to be able to raise these ideas irrespective, irrespective of the blowback. Now, the most powerful forces in this country is not the government of the day, not the Australian military, but the most powerful force in this country are multinational and transnational corporations. And the most powerful members of this corporate family are those that own and exploit and profit from the mineral resources that we theoretically own as a people in the Commonwealth of Australia. These are powerful forces and we have seen them over and over again derail attempts by Australians to share in that wealth, whether it's what happened during the Whitlam era when nationalisation of mineral resources was on the national agenda, whether it's what happened when Rudd introduced a super profit tax over a decade ago or attempted to introduce super profits tax. We can see how powerful these organisations are. But at the end of the day, we are more powerful than them. And as I said before, desperate times require desperate measures. And although we've been cushioned from those desperate times through government intervention, through job seeker and job keeper, desperate times are there. And we will have to face that desperate time. And we will have to raise ideas about how to deal with that situation. Because when 50% of the population is underemployed or unemployed, you've got a problem. And you've got a problem when people think it's going to be business as usual. People think the economy is going to rebound. People think the banks are going to be kind to you for the rest of your life. It doesn't work that way. I mean, I'm still getting bills, and I'm sure you're still getting bills. And if you can't pay those bills, I'm sure you're being threatened uh, with uh, eviction threatened with the fact that uh, once the moratorium on rents and uh, repayments of mortgages finishes, they want their money plus interest back over the next uh, 16, 18 to 24 months. So nothing has changed except the fact that this pandemic has pushed us to a position where we need to re evaluate the type of society we have and what we want to do. That's the, that's the dilemma. And it is a dilemma because it is difficult. It is difficult to think of things outside the pandemic. It is difficult to think that change is possible. It is difficult to think that we can actually make a difference. And I'd just like to remind people that for generations, People on the outer who've had ideas have seen those ideas come to fruition decades, generations later. I keep talking about the anti-slavery movement, the movement for democratic uh, parliamentary reform. The list goes on and on. The movement for gay rights. Many movement for the environment. There are many movements that are people have been involved in, that when these movements started, people thought they were crackpots, crazy, couldn't happen. Well, anything can happen. 
we want it to happen. And it's crises which bring the best and the worst out of a population. And we can go down the fear path. We can go down the division path. We can go down the nationalism path. We can go down the envy path. We can fight amongst each other, as we see around the world. We can, But we don't have to go down those paths. We can be managed by the state in various ways. We can see our inalienable rights and liberties being removed and doing nothing about it. But we do have options. And as human beings, we do have options. We don't have to go down those paths. We don't have to be herded into those corrals like animals, you know, waiting to be slaughtered. We don't need to do that. We can create our own paths. We can actually look at the society we have. We can actually look at what changes are needed. We can actually begin that struggle to make those changes. So if there's one thing I'm asking you to do over the next few months, is not be cowed by the pandemic. It doesn't matter how extensive it spreads. The fact is that sooner or later, as all human populations will come out the other side, but will we come out the other side the same? Or will we be different? Will this pandemic give us the impetus to look at major reforms that need to be made in this country? Because I'm sick and tired of seeing the growing inequality that exists in the society. I'm sick and tired of seeing the destruction of the trade union movement. I'm sick and tired of seeing governments at all levels you know, push a privatisation, deregulation, corporatisation um, agenda. I'm sick of it because they say, well, there's nothing else. Well, there are other ways that we can actually uh, overcome the situation. There are many other ways, many other ways we can do. Now, you've been listening to the Anarchist World this week. Now, as I said before, people in Victoria are feeling the brunt and people in New South Wales are feeling the brunt currently. Obviously, there were major mistakes made in the containment policy by the Victorian government. And we're now paying the consequences of that uh, save a penny and spend a pound philosophy, which comes from outsourcing government responsibilities to private organisations. There's one thing that highlights this, is the security guard a fiasco regarding uh, providing security regarding uh, return travellers with possible COVID-19. Total fiasco. But this fiasco, we see in every aspect of our lives. We see the privatisation that has occurred at every level is a fiasco. It's been good for a small group of people, but for the majority of the population, it has been a total fiasco. Now, I encourage you to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can download the application from pipsy.net or you can actually ring me on 0439 395 489. As I said before, it's a particularly difficult time. Uh, it's important that uh, we get ideas across. I'd like to thank all the people who've supported Community Radio 3CR, all those people donated especially Johnny Lata, who donated $1,000. I'd also like to support the people, uh, thank the people the Community Radio Network has put up with uh, all the technical difficulties that I've said before. We are in a COVID-19 lockdown. We are trying to do a live program. There will be issues, and uh, hopefully you'll continue to listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week.
So uh, we will be broadcasting next week. We'll uh, attempt to broadcast live. If not, we may have to pre-record, but uh, we'll see how we go. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been broadcast courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scarno. As I said before, keep listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Wash my hands. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.